Hello, and welcome to the Flexco Mining Podcast. In this series, we'll aim to provide useful knowledge and advice on how to tackle common challenges in the mining and bulk handling sector. We'll interview the field experts on topical issues, and you'll gain tips and tricks to boost your productivity on site. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Mining Matters Podcast, brought to you by Flexco. My name is Ben Cray and I'm the editor of Australian Mining Magazine. In this podcast, we'll be covering common issues with conveyor transfer chutes. Today, I'll be talking with Mark Anderson and Paul Klaus from Flexco. We'll discuss different transfer chute options, how and why you should prevent bottlenecks, and what options are available for transfer chutes in challenging environments. But first, let's meet the experts. Welcome, Mark and Paul. Hi, Ben. Yeah, good day, Ben. So guys, before we get around to the specifics, uh, can you tell us a bit more about yourselves and your role at Flexco? Yeah, hi. My name is Mark Anderson. I'm the engineering manager for Flexco Australia. Uh, my primary role is to oversee the development and engineering of all products at Flexco on behalf of Australia, with a core role being overseeing our transfer group. Uh, my background is I've been in the conveyor industry for around about 15 years, specifically coal, previously working at uh, Convitec and uh, Fenner Dunlop, where I was both uh, engineering managers there. All right. Uh, thanks, Mark. So, Paul, how about yourself? Okay, yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, yeah, Paul, that's my name. Probably short and sweet. Generally, my background is uh, mining, particularly coal mining, with most of that time, so 30 30 odd years um, in coal mining, and most of that time, eight nine years at Flexco now, um, specifically dealing with the transfer chute uh, division of Flexco. So I'm the general manager of the transfer chute division and um, get to work at all different sites, um, helping customers resolve their issues with transfer points and um, working closely with the design and the manufacturing side of it as well. Sure. Thanks, Paul. So if we move on to today's topic, uh, being transfer chutes, uh, as you both well know, transfer chutes are a key part of uh, conveyor systems. Uh, So just to start off with, can you give me an idea of what the most common issues are that that affect the efficiency of transfer chutes? There's two main influences in the effectiveness of a transfer chute. Uh, First being the physical geometry of the area how high the transfer is, how far apart the feed conveyor to the transfer you're loading onto, and the position of the head pulleys and the general conveyor equipment around that area. Sometimes those aspects of the area are challenging. Uh, very short transfers lead to can lead to blockage problems, spillage problems, generally because you, you, you just can't achieve uh, what we call valley angles. Or, or certain angles for the material to flow. The other common issue that we face with transfer efficiency is, is the physical material itself. If we don't understand the material being conveyed, uh, then it's extremely difficult to ensure that the transfer will function correctly. It's real challenging if you're at a port facility or a um, an offloading facility where the material varies drastically. Uh, it's also quite a large issue at direct mine sites where they, they're they running the wrong material. Uh, material may be coming through at various sizes, ranging from very small pieces of ore up to very large pieces of ore. 
uh, and how you control that is quite difficult. Uh, the moisture content of material has quite a large bearing. Coal, it's important. Iron ore, it's very important. A very small change in moisture can make a material change from what we call a flowable material to an extremely sticky material. And the ideas around transfer design of those types of materials are very different. They're probably the two biggest factors that affect efficiency. Uh, there's some other minor ones. They're probably the two biggest ones that, that we concentrate on uh, dealing with when we're designing the transfers. Sure. Okay. Th- thanks for that. And I think you've just highlighted that conveyor systems, you know, they, they are used in different environments, whether it's coal or, or iron ore. Does the environment that the chute is being used in have an effect on, on how it functions? Let me answer that one, Ben. And the physical environment can have a bearing on, you know, how, how well the chute works. Uh, I guess, you know, for Australia, it's probably not an issue, but, um, you know, around the world, in extremely cold environments, certainly we've experienced material freezing and the chutes themselves have got to have, you know, their own heating arrangements set up so the material will continue to flow through. Um, probably, you know, for Australia, we look at the other way around as far as uh, the impacts on the environment, the transfer shoots can have not the environmental impacts. And, uh, you know, large focus in recent times is the effect of the effect we have on the environment. Um, so environmental protection policies, you know, we're seeing plant design, including transfer shoot designs uh, being improved to ensure we continually um, looking for better performance out of the shoots in relation to reducing the um, in environmental impacts. There's probably no better example uh, than the need to reduce dust emissions, particularly you know, dust created by a poorly designed and operating transfer shoot. Sure. Okay. So uh, something I am interested in is what does it mean to manipulate material flow in this case and, and, and what are the benefits of uh, doing that? Manipulating the material flow is really uh, what we classify as controlling the flow. We aim to capture the material as, as early as we possibly can from the feed conveyor and compress it or form a stream. Once we have the material in a controlled state, we can then actually manipulate it or move the material in a controlled manner rather than it being in a chaotic manner. Um, in a chaotic manner, transfer you may see very large drops in height where the material is essentially free-falling. A really good analogy to this is uh, your common garden hose. If you're outside hosing your garden, you turn the tap on and your nozzle is set to spray, you really have very little control over where the water lands, how far the water will go. It's very unpredictable. If you take your hose and you turn the nozzle down to a jet, you get a nice stream of water come out. It's very predictable. You can make it land exactly where you want it to land. Materials handling, while well, it's not water, flowing material or materials that flow relatively easy, we can treat it relatively the same way. So once we compress it into a stream, we can start to manipulate that flow. What that means is, is that the material moving through the system is far more predictable. We can predict the speeds within the transfer, we can predict impact angles with variables of the transfer, and therefore controlling those aspects of the stream, we can better increase the wear life of the transfer 
reduce material degradation. We can load it onto our receiving belts at far better speeds or speeds closer to the receiving belts. That reduces wear and tear on the covers and reduces the amount of power that the belt needs to provide to re-accelerate the material. So there's lots of aspects to material manipulation, but in essence, it's really having full control, capturing the material, putting it into a string, and then moving it through a transfer in a controlled and predictable manner to reduce dust, spillage, and wear and tear on the equipment. Sure. If we could now uh, look more closely at how, how you work with uh, customers in the mining industry in this area. So what options do organisations or, or mining companies usually have when, when they select a conveyor chute? And how do you get to the point with them individually to recommend the best approach? There, there's really only two main options um, for transfer chutes out there, and that's you know, a, a, an engineered engineered specifically designed transfer chute for that particular transfer point or probably the uh, problem causing option you know the chute that it's just designed to contain the transfer so no focus on material compression as mark spoke about before or anything in that nature so it's purely just a connection point between two transfers so um yeah we quite often see um, in these chutes material streams slamming into forms of deflector plates or the chute walls um, throughout these types of transfers and, and the deflector plates are put in there in an attempt to direct the stream to the desired direction or, or the chute is basically a big box just enclosing the transfer point. These type of chutes are often very problematic, especially um, if there's a change in material consistency, um, again, as Mark spoke about before, it's dry, it's dusty because the, the stream is just not contained and it's allowed, uh, you know, chaos is allowed to rule inside the transfer point. So the second option basically out there is, um, and obviously the recommended option, is a transfer chute that's specifically designed for that transfer point and around the flow of materials throughout that transfer so, yeah, the operation of a well-designed transfer chute, and there might be engineered chutes out there and some are better than others, but the, the operation of well-designed transfer chute should see the material flowing through at a consistent speed without hitting obstacles within the chute. And then, as discussed previously, material streams should be maintained and manipulated in um, the required direction through the transfer. And one of the most important outcomes of a specifically designed transfer chute is ensuring that the throughput rates, you know, of the overall plant is achieved. Basically, the minimum attention paid to the chutes during their operating life as well. If, if a chute can achieve, people don't know that it's even there. That's a good result for a engineered and designed transfer chute. Thanks, Paul. So just while we're on the uh, engineered option, does the engineered option also offer benefits in terms of uh, maintenance and, and life expectancy? Yeah, it, it does. And, and basically controlling the flow you know, is the first consideration for what, what Flexio do in shoes. But once you control the flow and, and can predict it, you reduce maintenance costs. So you control the impact angles and material speed within the transfer. So the material stream, it, it moves within the transfer in the, 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 you know, the Goldilocks zone for a point. So it's not too fast and it's not too slow. The impact on the wear surfaces is not too hard. 
but it's not slow enough to stall the material causing the transfer to the material to slow down and then ultimately block the transfer. You know, an advantage of the FlexGo design methodology is we aim to have parity across all the components that make up a transfer system. So we aim for each component within the transfer to perform at the same level and wear at the same rates. So you know, this approach has served as well, increasing the life of the transfer beyond its paper life. Um, and for example, you know, we've replaced transfer chutes to increase throughput capacities at major coal export facilities in Australia. So yeah, the chutes were replaced to increase the capacity, not because they uh, weren't working. And um, we've actually measured some of the wear over 15 years of continual service on the tiles of the chutes that were taken out and, and you know, the, the wear is minimum um, over 15 years of operation. So um, reducing maintenance is taken into, into the design, but it's just inherent with the design of a, a well-designed um, transfer chute. Okay, so, so would there be any further advice that you, you would provide uh, mining companies on why they should go with this engineered option instead of a traditional chute and, and, and make that increased investment? My advice or our advice would be to know exactly what your problem is or what you're trying to achieve at the transfer point. And then once you understand that, share that openly with the transfer chute designer. So without the exact information on, on what the issues are, to be resolved or you know, what you're trying to achieve at, say, an upgraded transfer point, um, the designers will find it difficult to pro provide um, exactly what you want. So then you know, it'll be you know, look for a company that has a track record and, and evidence of providing solutions which are specific to your problem. So if your problem's dust, then the designer should have a good understanding of what the air is doing inside the chute. If they're unable to provide examples or evidence of achieving a good transfer, you may want to question if you want to be an experiment for them. So um, we have previously, as we previously said, the, the transfer chute doesn't have to be the bottleneck in the operation. The most important issue to understand is that the, the purchase of any transfer system is an investment. The upfront investment is nothing really compared to the cost of a poor designed and performing transfer chute. The ongoing issues with that would be significant compared to the, the cost of a well-designed, well-performing transfer chute. Um, and yeah, some mining operations estimate publicly that you know, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour lost in downtime. A transfer chute that can operate without issues can quickly pay for itself in um, productivity and reduce maintenance as well. So it's definitely clear that you do work closely with uh, mining companies to overcome these issues. Uh, one that has been mentioned uh, on a couple of occasions now is dust, which is, of course, a, a big issue at, at mines and, and all industrial sites. Can you go into more detail now about uh, the risks that arise when dust is airborne and, and how can certain chute solutions prevent this issue? Dust has been a continual area of concern to the Government Environmental Protection Agency as well as the healthcare system for many years. Uh, it's a problem across pretty much every single type of material, whether it be coal, iron, wheat, you know, agriculture. It's a very large problem. The biggest risk is obviously uh, to your health. Inhaling dust causes respiratory illness and in some cases can cause death. Uh, if you take you know, black lung as a, an example, where some time ago you know, 
to miners die from overexposure of coal dust and inhaling that over a long period of time. That was really where the reforms for dust management came in and the Environmental Protection Agencies are, are quite strict. Um, mines inspectorates are, are quite strict when it comes to ventilation of mines as well as the outside airborne dust that's produced from the from the mining mining applications. In addition to that, dust is quite a large problem in populated areas. Uh, where I live in Newcastle, we have two of the biggest coal exporting terminals in the world, and dust is a very large problem in suburbs very close to the export terminals. People's washing can get very dirty. If the wind's blowing the wrong way, houses get covered in dust. So not just from a health point of view, it's just a, it can be just an annoyance if you're in a, in a populated area. And they're the main reasons why it's such a focus now on all aspects of the, especially mining or moving of materials around by conveyor. To this day, the most common way to control dust is water. Uh, we simply just pour water over the top of the material, hoping that the water will capture the dust particles and drop them down to the ground. Uh, essentially spraying a, a very fine mist. Transfers for a long time were the same. Most transfers you will see will have some sort of misting or water injection system at the top. The goal of that is to dampen the material before it goes into the transfer, to hopefully drop the dust into the material or prevent the dust from coming out. That has worked to a degree. Uh, on very, very dry materials, it doesn't. Uh, you just can't wet it enough to cause the dust to stay down. The other problem that arises from that method is that if the water droplets are too large, when it actually in, those droplets actually impact the stream material, it can actually cause more dust. Um, that's something that I'm familiar with on long walls. So dust has been quite a difficult challenge to designers. The easiest case for us to do is to encase everything and basically build boxes around everything to try and keep it confined to a particular space but that has had its drawbacks as well we've had cases where conveyors systems around transfers have produced so much dust that they're in their own buildings and those buildings are actually no-go zones or are classified as hazardous areas when they're in operation so the dust doesn't necessarily get to the environment but the local area that the transfer is running in is so hazardous that you physically can't walk in there so the last I would say two to three years, transfer design companies who have the finance and the and the R&D power behind them have really started to tackle this problem. And we've gone and taken a leap out of, I would say, the automotive industry to understand the aerodynamics inside a transfer, what actually happens with the airflow when a material comes into a transfer and when it comes out, what goes on inside, what, what are the airstreams doing? And so now we concentrate just as much on what is our stream doing, what is our material doing through the transfer, as well as what is the air around that stream doing. Our simulation software that we use at Flexco was coupled with what we call CFD or computational fluid dynamics with our DEM or discrete element modeling software. So we can actually look at both in real time. From that, we've been able to provide solutions or you can provide solutions to very, very dusty transfers. Uh, we've had some 
very good success uh, on some transfers in North America where, like I described, the, the transfer was in a room fully encased. You couldn't walk in there. And just by redesigning the transfer with aerodynamics in mind, we're able to reduce the dust ejected from that transfer by 97%, making people able to walk in and actually be in that transfer when it was running. So we used that technology to determine where the best place to put baffles, how long skirting systems should be, where we need to put vents in there, and also where the best location for dust extraction units. Uh, we can't get rid of dust. It's a natural thing. You know, we, we take a material and we basically break it up and sometimes pulverize it. So it's about managing the dust. That's where the top end of the industry is headed at the moment where they're looking at the aerodynamics inside the transfer. There is a few companies doing that. So we're starting to see a third leg or a third part to the triangle. Previously, transfer design was uh, all about productivity and where we want a transfer that never blocks so our productivity stays high and reaches our throughput requirements. But we also don't want it to wear out because we only want to replace it every five years, 10 years, for every shutdown. Nowadays, dust mitigation has become a, a more and more important aspect to a transfer. And so now it's a third part that we need to add to the equation from, from compromise. Everything with a transfer is compromised. You know, to get the material through a transfer, it may need to wear a lot more if you want uh, transfer to produce no dust, we may need to slow the material down a little bit, which may increase wear. So it's all about compromise to get the end result. But dust or air- airborne contaminants has become a, you know, something that we are focusing on and we have focused on for many years. But now the simulation tools that we have today and computer powering has caught up to allow us to predict what dust particles are going to do inside the transfer. Five years ago, this technology was around, but it wasn't coupled to be used with transfers. And this type of technology is being explained to the government and the power of it to try to reduce the the risk of dust ejection or uh, controlling or mitigating dust in areas that I think is going to be where the main focus is going to be for the next period of time for transfer design. Thanks, Mark. Uh, it's always uh, interesting to hear about the progress being made to reduce the uh, impact of dust uh, at sites. So dust, of course, isn't the only issue that conveyor systems face. Another one that comes to mind, for example, is spillage. So how can the type of chute solution prevent spillage and, and any other key conveyor issues that you face? Good question. Um, I believe you know, a, a well-designed or specifically designed transfer chute for you know, for that uh, transfer, you're taking into account everything else we've already discussed, should provide a range of benefits without actually having to add them in into the design. It, it, the design should be robust enough to include the prevents the spillage and that sort of thing. So what Mark was talking about before, if you keep the material um, flowing through at a constant speed, it should load onto the receiving conveyor at speed in the direction of that belt travel. So that prevents the material bouncing or directly impacting on the belt. So you know, significantly reduces the wear um, of the conveyor belt um, covers. Also reduces the, 
the need or the wear of skirts. A good performing transfer should, you know, the skirting system should not necessarily be in contact with the material. So the uh, discharge chute is centred over the uh, receiving conveyor. The material's hitting the conveyor at speed in the direction that the skirts basically just contain a little bit of material creepage um, and just keeps it in line on the belt, which obviously, you know, the, the, the maintenance costs or the clean-up costs around spillage of conveyors and, and a, not a good performing transfer is, is significant ongoing as well. And again, you know, throughout, not repeating everything we've, we've discussed as well, but you know, the remain, main requirement of a well-designed transfer chute is the throughput rates. The transfer chute shouldn't govern the operation of the plant, uh, which you know, we consistently see in um, some of our customers' operations where the, the plant is dialed to suit the throughput through the transfer chute. You know, this doesn't have to be the case as a well-designed transfer chute um, resolves all those issues, and I believe I said it before. If if people are not focused on the transfer chute, that's a positive for a transfer chute design company. Sure. Okay. So, so I think that's a great overview of the role of uh, transfer chutes in conveyor systems. But uh, in summary, uh, what advice would you both give to someone looking to improve their chute solutions? As Paul said previously, I think the main advice I would give is to understand what it is that you are after. Uh, if you have a good idea on what you need and what the problem is you're trying to solve, then providing that information to any transfer design manufacturing company will help them provide you with a better solution. A lot of transfers that have I have seen failed or not met the expectation was due to the fact that the expectation wasn't set or a small element was not provided to the designer. Uh, a good example would be on a standard mine site that periodically they ran rock through their transfers because of uh, their mining process. Some places will, will say that they just don't have rock in it and then magically, you know, Six months later, they're, they're running 100% rock through their transfers and wondering why it's being smashed to pieces. Same as if they expect the material consistency to change, that's very important. If you don't tell the design groups these, they can't design for them, and you're setting yourself up for a transfer that's not going to do what you want it to do. Uh, that would be probably my biggest advice from a customer's point of view, uh, is to provide as much detail as you can about how you want to use what material is going to run through it and what your expectations of the transfer are. Sure, Mark. Uh, and Paul, any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think from a from an operational experience point of view and particularly my experience, I guess, is don't keep doing the same thing and expect it to change. <laughs> you know, if you've got a problematic transfer chute, don't dust off the drawings of the existing one and put a new one in and go still doing the same thing. As I said before, transfer shoots are an investment, but once you've got a good one in there working, my joy out of going to a site saying, how is that shoot that we put in six months ago going and everyone just shrugs their shoulders and yeah, we, we don't pay any attention to it. That's that's a, a great bit of feedback for us in particular. So look at transfer systems as an investment in, into your plant 
and then to achieve what you need to achieve, you know, and, and sometimes the cheapest one will cause you a lot more issues than, than the cost of a, uh, a well-designed transfer chute. Great. So that concludes our podcast today on Transfer Shoot Solutions. We hope you found the information useful. Thank you to both Mark and Paul for taking the time to talk with us about common transfer shoot issues and for also providing some valuable tips on how to improve throughput and safety through advanced transfer shoot solutions. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben.